Welcome, everybody, to the first edition, the first installment of the record-breaking podcast brought to you by Nico Blitz. This is a documentary of some of the best DJs on Twitch, man. And, you know, just like everybody else on Twitch, we are just here to find a way and continue to push the culture in any way possible. My first guest I thought about this so hard, and I definitely needed this guy to be my first guest. Um, we're going to go about the story about how we met each other like literally maybe a year or two ago. But just to put this resume down, Snapback Live, Beat Junkies, Los Angeles' own DJ Icy Ice. What is good, my guy? Man, it's all good. Nico, how you doing, man? I'm doing amazing, man. And, you know, truthfully, like, a couple reasons as to why I needed you to be my first guest, man. One, obviously, we share the Filipino lineage. So I'm like, yo, like, I definitely need Icy Ice to, like, represent for our people right now. <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. <laughs> Two, we know each other in real life. But yes. three, like, the legacy that you've just left and that you're continuing to grow on DJ culture is just, it's just so noteworthy. And I need your story to be out there, man, because there are a lot of people who probably hopped on Twitch and they're just like, yo, who is this DJ Icy Ice guy? And, you know, they can appreciate the turntablism. They can understand how long you've been in the game. And, you know, you just seemed so right to be the, prefer the perfect first guest. Oh, man. I appreciate that. It's it's an honor. Thanks, Nico. All <laughs> <laughs> love, man. All love. Um, so Ice, we actually met, I don't know, like a year or two ago. Do you want to go over that story? Well, long story short, basically our girl Rosalind, Mixed TV, Mixed Global, um, she's been putting together events for the Clippers. I know a lot of people always say, oh, you, you know, why, why are you doing stuff with the Clippers? I'm like, it's because the Lakers don't do anything like this. They don't do Filipino culture nights, Filipino heritage nights at an actual NBA basketball game. The Clippers allow us to do that. And Rosalind has been very instrumental in doing the, these, these games and doing these live performances and bringing in like the, the best of the best within our Filipino heritage and our community to come together for one night and celebrate philippine heritage and celebrate our talents and everything but yeah long story short Rosalind brought us together uh we played i i, I believe we played on opposite teams at least i, I know we, we played on opposite teams the last time but the first time was it also opposite teams or were we, were we on the same team i think i only played the first time but we were definitely on opposite teams okay so <laughs> The funny thing that uh, Rosalind did was she put she put all you young cats on one team, and then she put all us OGs like me, Dante Bosco, um, E Man, and a whole bunch of the elder statesmen in the community to play on one team. And um, man, and bro, you guys just ran us out the gym. <laughs> you guys ran us out the Staples Center. I think on my side we had um, we had Pilo, we had Romeo had Reyes, we had myself. Uh -huh. So I was like, I was looking at, it, I'm like, damn, Roz, like, I wish you evened up this lineup just a little bit because we, I'm not even gonna front, we won by a lot. You won by a lot, man, <laughs> and uh, I think it's mainly because we got tired. <laughs> oh man, 
I, I'm not you guys, you guys were just running and gunning, and like, I mean, come on, man. I, you know, like, uh, number one, we are all older, and then, and then to to top it all off, you you got guys that were hockey players that that were not even playing NBA, and they're just huffing and puffing going up the court. That's what I'm saying, <laughs> was, bro. It like, was uh, it was funny. Bro, it, it was, was like Pilo played basketball in high school. I know that for sure. I think we also had uh, Anthony on our team too, and I'm I'm pretty yeah. sure he played yeah. basketball. And I'm like, oh my god! Like, I don't know yeah. if you knew, but I was also huffing and puffing because that was the first basketball game I played in like three, four years. Yeah, and then and see, I didn't like, even realize how big an NBA basketball court really is up until that. Yeah, game. the NBA basketball court is so much bigger than an average park park or regular gym, man. So man us us short filipinos man we were just huffing and puffing going up and down that court man it was it was too much <laughs> but you know ice like i think the one good thing that really occurred to me that night because that was the first time i had met you and like so many other prominent filipino entertainers and that was that was literally just it like wow there are so many of us in here making an impact in the industry and people just don't know it yeah yeah, that's that's the truth right there. Um, yeah, it, we we covered all kinds of ground. Everyone from radio to record labels to artists to to uh, producers to just everybody across the board, all the way up to the Boscos who are actors and actual actors. The brothers are actors, and it's like a a good a good coalition of us that are all in the entertainment industry. And and Rosalind brought us all together. We all played that little celebrity game, and that was just fun. But uh, but yeah, you guys whipped our asses. <laughs> <laughs> so look, I don't want to talk about the game for for a, <laughs> another five minutes or anything. But you know, okay, like, all right. As I was saying, like you know, this record breaking podcast, man. Like I really wanted to document the life of a DJ, and you know, you being one of the OGs of this craft, I want to know from like beginning to now the life of dj icy ice so born and raised in los angeles born and raised los angeles but specifically carson carson california in los angeles within la it's uh, a city that sits right in between long beach and compton and um yeah man uh, one of the biggest hubs of filipinos here in southern california as well as daily city up in up in the the bay as well as national city down in in san diego Oh, see, I didn't even know National City had like its own little Filipino town. Oh yeah, yeah. No, National City. Those three cities that I named off are like the biggest hubs of Filipinos <laughs> up and down the up and down the the West Coast, or at least the biggest hubs of Filipinos. So, <laughs> Man, I grew up in one Car of those cities. Shout to Carson. Shout to Good Morning Gabe too. He was, you know, he's over in Carson, I believe. Um, yeah. But you know, um, how do you get into DJing? How do you get involved? Man, um, it just started as a hobby. It, it was uh, something that I saw like friends, brothers, older brothers DJing. Um, I would turn on the radio and I would hear the KD Mixmasters DJing and just blew my mind because uh, the KD Mixmasters were pretty much like the big, the Beat Junkies crew all on radio, all on the same station all rocking every friday and saturday night so so yeah like uh those influences of being able to hear that those djs um grow up in a town where um hip-hop was very prevalent 
You know, I walk to school, I see graffiti on the walls. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm in the bus, I see uh, graffiti art, whatever, all tagged up in the, and then like, it was very common for MCs to be busting freestyles with guys just banging on a, on a table or even beatboxing at lunchtime. And so like, the DJing aspect came in, in into my life because yes, I saw the older brothers, I saw friends of friends, older cousins, and I heard it on the radio, but my junior high dances that I would attend over there in Carson, man, you had the best of the best DJing, DJing at my schools at that time. <laughs> it was crazy because these are the same guys that you hear on the radio. You'd see them performing uh, right there. And then they had their own record deal and they were giving out their own records at the, at the school dance. So it was just, it was just crazy. It was, it was crazy. But yeah, that, that all influenced me to get into this art form we call DJing. Um, started real young and um, yeah, man, it, it took off from there. Do you remember the first DJ that you witnessed at your um, junior high for your dance? Well, that that the very first DJ I witnessed was a, a group called Unique Technique. So they're a, they're a group of Filipinos also. They're kind of like your equivalent of Spintronics up in the Bay Area or SBC, okay. those type of DJs. So those guys were just putting it down with the big sound and lighting systems. You know, um, the whole stage is covered with lighting trusts and all that, lights in your fog, all of that stuff, right? So yeah. those were the first DJs I saw, but the guys that I saw that were actually cutting it up and doing turntablism and just just killing it was this this uh, the legendary DJ Joe Cooley, who was a Rodney owned Joe Cooley. And he DJed at my dance. He was passing out his own records at my dance. And from that moment I saw him, that was it. I was like, yo, I gotta become a DJ. Seeing that, seeing what he was doing, just mesmerizing that crowd with the music he was playing and and then making everybody go ooh and ah just off of moving that record back and forth or doing a record, you know, like doing spins behind their back and things between their legs, all that, man. It was just it was just crazy with uh, the the things I was seeing. So that that all inspired me to become a DJ. So then what what was your next step? How long before you actually got your first pair of turntables? Well, so after after seeing that, it was just uh, within weeks, I was like telling my dad, begging my dad, but then my dad was not one to spoil me. Uh, of course, we were we didn't have the financial means. We we were you know my parents are immigrants from the Philippines. Um, they were working their jobs and stuff like that, so they made me work. They made me work for my first pair pieces of equipment, and I didn't even get two turntables and a mixer right in the beginning. I I worked for one turntable, just one. <laughs> <laughs> and then I had that hooked up to my radio that you see up here at the very top. That that's why that's that's displayed up there. I just had it up there and then I would just do my my volume control like that. But so I was getting into DJing, my neighbor was getting into DJing and uh we just we made a deal. So he he went and cut lawns with his dad and they had their gardening business. I went and did chores and different different things and and I, I went and cleaned out apartments and things like that with my my dad to earn enough money to get my first turntable. He got one, he got one. And then our other homie already had one of those cheap Radio Shack mixers. And mm. so we kind of formed like Voltron. <laughs> we formed like Voltron and, and that was it. It would just go rotate from one house to the other. But every time it got to my house, every time it was my turn to have the equipment, I made sure that it stayed at my house. <laughs> <laughs> I made sure I had it the longest. <laughs> <laughs> so then basically you guys would just move around the equipment as a tandem yeah yo that is so crazy it, it's funny then, to think 
Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, uh, no. Go, well, and then in addition to that, of course, back then we didn't have Serato. We didn't have a computer with a whole, you know, thousands of songs already. You had to go to a record store and buy every record. And every record was at least $4.99, $5.99, $6.99. And then albums, $9.99, 10 bucks, whatever. And uh, so I would save lunch money. Same thing. We would just starve ourselves and just eat off of our friends' plates in order to save enough money for the week and take that money and go buy one record at the record store. Yes. That's how we did it, man. You said, man, I'm eating cup of noodles for an entire month just to get these <laughs> records. Do you remember? I was just stuffing whatever, like, whatever bar that my mom would, would have there at the you know at home or just any kind of snacks and then i would just pick off of my girlfriend's plate or i would pick off whoever's plate the homie's <laughs> plate there you know <laughs> do you remember the first record that you bought oh man very first record i bought was and i i bought it because this was the equivalent of a uh, of a cubert scratch record back in the day it was al nafish it's time so that along with run dmc and uh, Shaka Khan, those were the first three records I bought. And, and Shaka, um, Khan. Shaka Khan, I feel for you. So, bought those records, and um, and yeah, that sounds... that, that's how I started off. But yeah, endlessly, every morning, every night, it's time. It's time. And my parents were like, "What the hell is this? Ah, this this noise, you know." <laughs> <laughs> Yo, that's so They're like, crazy. I'm tired of hearing this time. It's it's no more time. Go to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the only reason why... But of why course, I in a Filipino accent. Go to sleep. Go, go to, to sleep. sleep. Go to sleep now, huh? <laughs> Bro, that's so funny because it's like, I don't know how you're supposed to hide from your parents that you're like DJing. Were you DJing like, what, downstairs in the garage or in your room? Not even downstairs. We only had a one-story one oh. house, real small. My room was next to my parents' room, so yeah, they heard everything. They oh heard they heard when I was practicing. They heard when I was I was uh, just playing music. They heard it all. They, they always heard me. I knock you sound like <laughs> shit. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> so, it, it, the only reason why I ask those two questions specifically to you is because I feel like me and my generation of DJs, we grew up a little bit more spoiled because we can literally rip a YouTube audio link, rip a SoundCloud link, and boom. We didn't have to go to the record stores and carry nearly even a quarter of all those records that you have in the back right now. Yeah, no, like I display this proudly and I still have racks of these in my garage, overtaking half my garage. So yeah, like, um, yeah, this is all... A part of me all of this because i worked hard for this stuff but uh, of course once once you got into radio then it was easier but you know leading up to radio before all of that like yeah man it was everybody pooling their money together everybody trying to use up whatever resources they can to, to buy up those records and you know like when we really got going into djing gigs you had to have all kinds of music right like in serato you have to have all different types of genres so, I mean, we weren't just buying hip-hop. We are buying pop. We are buying uh, 80s new wave, 80s rock, 90s, funk, soul, house, deep house, techno, whatever. All, all these different genres of music. And, I mean, we're paying for it. We're paying money for all of those records. So, 
yeah, today's generation, it's it's so easy to just download and have your computer hard drive or share a hard drive with another homie. But yeah, going and physically buying all of these records one by one was was not was not um, easy. Well, that's why you know I that's why I respect people of your generation of DJs because I can't even imagine. I used to watch. Um, uh videos of like grandmaster flash and i'm just like yo like he's not looking at a computer screen to make sure that he got the audio going you really got to like listen and make sure mm -hmm. that you got the right spot in and you're mixing everything correctly and i'm over here just like bruh i can't even imagine doing that nowadays because that's not even a skill anymore that a lot of djs carry <laughs> with them right yeah so like again that was all just marking marking of a record you just put stickers on your record and then you would cue it back to that certain sticker point on your record. And um, yeah, that, that art is kind of lost now. I mean, you know, like guys that love to juggle and guys that love to, to rock the beats and stuff. Yeah, they, they have their points, their record cue points and, and uh, they still do it that way. But the majority, everything is just waveforms, watching the waveforms. Exactly. Um, do you remember how long before your first gig after you bought your turntable, after you started just practicing with the homies? Um, it wasn't too long. It, I think it was within months because, again, we had older brothers or other friends, older brothers that were DJing already. And so not long after we got our first pair, they brought us along to be roadies. So we would have to carry that equipment. We had to set up that equipment. And then we had to play like the whole beginning part while the party sucked. And then when the party got good, then those older brothers got on and they, they got on the turntables. But yeah, my first party sucked. It, it wasn't anything special, nothing, nothing crazy. It was just a house party, a little 16th birthday, and um, really not, 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 not that many people dancing. But I was so in love with DJing. I was so in love with, with uh, being able to, to just DJ and then have anybody around me. Even though all these kids were just running around and playing tag and doing whatever, they, they weren't even uh, into the music or anything like that. But I didn't care. I was in my own zone. I was in my own world. And that was my first gig. Now, but I know yeah, it was, just like... with, it was just within a month or two of getting my equipment, though. That's so quick, man. And I mean, like, you know, I know you were, like, learning with the homies and whatnot, but did you have, like, a specific mentor or were you really just, it's like, yo, this is literally just me while I'm practicing in my room and I'm going to figure it out by myself. Um, yeah, early on, it was just figuring it, by, figuring it out by myself. I would listen to a DJ's mixtape and then rewind it, try and emulate that scratch, go back, emulate it over and over. I go back, listen to some of Dr. Dre's records, or I would listen to some of the, the DJs that, that had any kind of scratching in it and then just kind of practice those cuts and kind of uh, copy and emulate and make it my own so once you once you could do it exactly like they can then you add your own flair and your own flavor to it to make it your scratch so that's what I would do and that's how I learned but um, it wasn't until later until I met a lot of my brothers that I call the beat junkies now those were the guys that that kind of mentored me and really taught me the real but up until that point, the first few years, I was just learning on my own or just trying to figure it out with the homies. So how did you get involved with Beat Junkies? Well, before even the Beat Junkies, I was part of a crew called Legend Entertainment. And uh, we were doing a lot of the, the clubs 
throughout LA. Uh, specifically, we would do like certain bars, clubs, anything to help further, you know, Filipino nightlife. Because Filipino mm. nightlife, we were just we were just stuck to doing little bars, little hall parties, or little hotel rooms, if if even that. Um, but yeah, <laughs> we were like legend even united kingdom before us they, they we were like the first ones to really take the filipino scene into actual nightclubs mm. so I, I, that's hard to fathom for somebody that that uh you know like living in today's day and age, day and age but back then man it was either pro predominantly white predominantly black predominantly latino they got all the best nights of a nightclub and then Filipinos and Asians, we just got the scraps and the leftovers. But yeah, we, we had to fight and work hard to break that that mold, break that stereotype, and get in. But yeah, so being part of Legend, eventually make it, making it um, up to a certain level with doing clubs, then the Beach Junkies came along, uh, you know, like after a few years of being part of Legend. And so Beach Junkies came about because we were all part of different crews, each of the members. We were all part of different crews. But J-Rock and Curse were the very first ones to come together. Mm -hmm. And then they were always practicing. Repmatic was, was always in that mix. And then slowly but surely, they just uh, said, yo, let's form a whole new DJ crew. Let's form kind of like a, a super crew, if you will, of our own homies. And uh, let's, let's, let's come together. Let's, let's bring the best of the best from each of these crews and let's form one crew and that's how the beach junkies came about jesus christ i mean truthfully i'm still stuck on the fact that you guys broke through clubs as like the first filipinos really trying to like put it like make a club for filipinos and also asian americans because truthfully now or you know pre-covid i feel like now it's nothing but filipino and asian clubs that i see at least <laughs> uh yeah pre-covid our filipino scene is very strong yeah. you got to hand it to to our scene now but you got to think back way back then yeah we we were just an afterthought we we were thought of as nerds or as people that didn't know what was up they they had this stereotype of what asians were and so when it came to clubs and all of that like yeah they didn't they didn't bother to give these clubs or even like good clubs to to any Asian promoters at that time, but yeah, big ups to Spectrum before United Kingdom. So Spectrum was the very first one to break into clubs, United Kingdom, and then yeah, Legend. We we were up in that mix as far as the the first promoters that really brought the club scene to another level. So then, when did you notice that that new level actually began? Uh, it was definitely in the nineties. The 80s, they were just breaking through. The early 90s, United Kingdom broke into a Hollywood club, which was right on Hollywood Boulevard. That was called Club Spice, which is not there anymore. And um, yeah, man, they they broke the ground. They opened up the doors for Filipinos. They they made it a cool thing for Filipinos to to have a club. And then we were, they were the 18 and over guys that were doing clubs. And then we were the all age. We were the all age promoters as legend. All and then age? by the time we got into college, then we were we they started doing you know like um, other clubs, and then we were we were doing eighteen and over, and then twenty one and over, you know. Um, 
but yeah, man, it, it, it was it was a it was a hard struggle to break that barrier to open up the club scene for for Asians. Period. Yeah. Same thing with radio. Same thing with everything. You know, everything that you see today. People had to break ground to to get to these things that we have today. Well, you know, going back to the first conversation we had with, you know, having all these Filipinos and seeing like Filipinos are on radio, Filipinos are behind BPM Supreme, Filipinos are behind A, B, and C. This conversation alone, the fact that you guys had to break into the clubs, I had no clue about. It, and it's something that didn't even occur to me that that's something that our people really had to do. And yeah. it's so crazy to know that now it's like, as I was saying, pre-COVID, a lot of Filipinos are in the clubs. A lot of Filipinos are running radio. A lot of people, a lot of Filipinos are running these um, DJ um, softwares and record pools that a lot of people use nowadays. And it's yeah. like, I don't know what else to say, but that like, I really appreciate the struggle that you guys had to go through because it's, I don't even think it's anything compared to what we have to go through as DJs right now. Yeah. Uh, it's a different, you know, there, there's levels to the struggle, but yeah, to, you know, today's DJ has their own struggles that they have to deal with. But yeah, back then it was just a struggle for us to even be reputable enough to get into any kind of nightclub. I mean, a bar even let alone a nightclub. So even, you look at uh, you look at in the Bay Area, like uh, all the mobile DJ crews. All you know, like uh, there was a book written about this this whole mobile scene up there in the Bay Area, and um, yeah, Spintronics. You know those those groups. They laid the the groundwork for for the Bay Area scene to to be able to break open. Likewise, down here in Southern California, like Spectrum, United Kingdom, Legend. We all broke that whole barrier so then uh so then the the filipino nightlife asian nightlife can really flourish down here so you know forming your super crew with beat junkies and whatnot did it ever occur like you know obviously with northern california and southern california always having this connection but also disconnection like is there any connection between northern and Cal northern and southern california during that time amongst filipino djs so okay, so Spectrum, like I was I was telling you, they were doing the biggest parties down here, up there in the Bay. Um, the the promoter that that pretty much predates Spintronics and everybody else was was uh, was um, Imagine, Imagine Productions, mm -hmm. and so those two tried to come together and do some parties, but it never really came together until the '90s, mm -hmm. and then it wasn't until legend we were all college age and all of that yeah we we had a chapter in san diego and so it was always southern california and then we connected with infinity which is up there in in the bay area which later became um well you know him now as the the lumpia chef but alex Ritoto, he uh. was he was the man behind us doing northern california legend parties as well so he he was the first to open the door and unite both north and south together up there in the bay. So, yeah, props go. to Alex Rotodo, Mr. Lumpia Chef. That's that unity that I like to see, man. Yeah. I love it. I love it. So, when when Beat Junkies is together and whatnot, what 
was the goal at the time? Was it just to be like the best DJs anybody could see, or was it to? I mean, I I know DJ Rose is somebody who was like your Padawan, basically. But like, what was the initial goal for you guys at that time? So, to give you context of, of that time and that that period, of course, we were all brand new. Um, the junkies we had formed down here in the in Southern California, up there in the Bay, you know, Mix Master Mike, Cubert, they they were all forming their crew up there, which was called the Invisible Scratch Pickles. In New York, the X the X Men aka the executioners mm. they were forming their crew and then much love to the fifth platoon which was our other filipino uh you know kind of uh, group and posse of djs that were representing fifth platoon was up there with yeah neil armstrong and uh you know all that the whole crew but in that time period again like the whole goal was just to just to be dope just to put in practice, put in work to be really dope DJs. And then from that point, it was like, okay, can we win some competitions? So, so certain guys out of the crew were like competing. And so that happened. And of course, you know, Q, all those guys, they won multiple world champions, championships, junkies. We won several championships. Uh, Fifth Platoon, they won several championships. So like everybody was representing. And then as we were progressing, then we were like, okay, what can we touch? What other areas? And so I'll just speak for the Beach Junkies specifically. Uh, the, the cool thing that made the Beach Junkies unique compared to all these other crews was that we were just diverse, fully diverse in a lot of different things. And when I mean diverse, we weren't just battle DJs, we weren't just scratch DJs, but we were actual producers. Uh, there was pro producers in the crew. They were there were guys that that were already breaking into radio at that time. So we were on the radio. Um, I was already doing clubs as Legend Entertainment. So we had our own nightclub scene, and um, you could just kind of see like we had our little unit. But within our unit, we can touch so many different things, versus a lot of the other crews that were mainly focused on battling and production. Mm, okay. Multifaceted, the Beat Junkies, they were, and still are. <laughs> yeah, still are. Essentially. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, um, what asked, did you ever hop into radio at one point? Yes, I did. So, radio came into play for me around 97? 96, 97? Four. What's that? I was four years old in 97. <laughs> Don't tell me that, man. <laughs> oh, man. Yes. And so, okay, let's let's talk about it. Again, the same oh, struggles we had into getting into the, the nightclub scene. That's just nightclubs. Now we're talking radio. And we're talk talking about. we're talking about the number two market in all of the US. You know, New York being number one, Los Angeles being number two. Bay Area is within the top 10. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, like to break into radio, that was a big deal. Because in that time, we didn't have internet. We didn't have the only forms of media we had was TV and radio. And so you're not going to break music on TV. They, they weren't even thinking about, you know, do, doing soundtracks and all of that stuff. Well, they, 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 had, they had movie soundtracks and things like that. But I'm talking about like 
doing songs and commercials and you know the things that we have today you didn't have that way back then so being on radio being on tv that was a big deal and so again same thing certain certain racial groups dominated the radio and it was only till someone broke in that we were able to one got in then we all got in <laughs> you know like we it was like we we pulled in as many people as we could and that that's that's how it happened man so um i'll just speak for down here in southern california e-man was the very first filipino mm -hmm. to make it on radio he made it on power 106 and fun fact i i even went with e-man to his uh his audition the baker boys gave him a slot christmas christmas night uh and 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 um you know the deal with that man that that's a slot nobody wants to take but okay let's give the let's give the let's give that guy uh, the slot and let's let it let him try out on that night when nobody's really at the radio station and so yeah i went with e-man to power 106 and um i sat in on his audition for for power and so he made it on power he was the very first filipino and then shortly after that julio g opened up the door for myself and a lot of the junkies over mm -hmm. at 92.3 the beat and that was my opening into radio and so i was Dang. the second filipino on rate on los angeles radio i'm so happy because essentially we worked at the exact same station yes except <laughs> yeah i was 92.3 the beat you're the real 92.3 now you know how you know how many times Busting my ass doing promotions and whatnot, people would still come up to me and be like, 92.3, the beat. <laughs> I'm like, real, 92.3 now. 92.3, the beat was the old station. I believe it was a, was it an old school hip hop station? No, it was, we were the hip hop R&B station in Los Angeles. Mm. And Power 106 was where hip hop lives. Gotcha, and so... Gotcha. It was a battle between our two stations all the time. We were always going head to head, and then that was the fun rivalry. Me and me and E-Man were best of friends, yet we were on opposite stations, always battling it out at functions, at clubs, wherever. Friendship games, all of that, man. We we were always battling it out wherever we were at. But we were oh, best man. of friends, man, and we we rocked a lot of the same clubs together. He said friendship games. I'm so dead. <laughs> <laughs> At any point, did it become like, I guess, really competitive? Like, at one point, did you really want to like show him out during a gig? Nah, nothing like that. Because E-Man was already legendary, being the first radio guy here in in Los Angeles. So, so no, nah, it was always love, and he always, you know, like his first nightclubs he did was Legend Clubs, and so mm -hmm. he always gave us love. And it was always that mutual love and respect with each other. Um, now, when we were working with our own stations and we were at the same event, then, yeah, our stations wanted to show out and we all wanted to outdo each other. But no, nah, not, not me wanting to outdo him or him wanting to outdo me. It was it was always a mutual love. Um, but yeah, friendship games, for, for example, friendship <laughs> games, for example. If you guys don't know what Friendship Games is, it is the uh, most Filipino event that could ever occur in California at Cal State Fullerton. At Cal State Fullerton. It's the biggest gathering of Filipinos 
in the U.S. at one at one spot as far as college collegiate students all at one spot, and um, it's a party, it's it's games, it's music, it's fun, people hooking up, all of that stuff. So <laughs> <laughs> you had to highlight think, the last message. <laughs> if you think about like a Freaknik in in Atlanta, that's the Filipino Freak Freaknik friendship games. I've never even saw it like that. I was in one of the most recent friendship games like within the past 10 years but if he's talking about it was the freak nick of atlanta i don't know or the freak nick of california the freak nick of california well you know like you you didn't, you didn't have like people getting doused with with water and dancing and you know whatever but well you kind of did you kind of did <laughs> you kind of <laughs> now that i think about it because a lot of these games you're taking buckets of water and pouring on the girls and they're all wet you know so that yeah, it was all it was all in friendship. What but no, say? like no, it was a battle though. It was it was it was a friendly battle between the radio stations to who can who can make the biggest impact on the Filipino community at that event. And so they were set up on one side of the field, we're set up on one side of the field. They had live performances, we had live performances. They had their crew, we had our crew. It was it was is that kind of friendly battle. That type yeah. of thing. I really love it. You know that I guess rivalry or friendly battle. I feel like that's something that exists between uh, myself and Good Morning Gabe. Oh, you know, so okay. so you know, I used to work at uh, Real ninety two three. Gabe's still at Power one hundred six, and it's like mm -hmm. behind closed doors, me and Gabe could talk our asses off and be like, ha ha yeah. ha ha ha, whatever. But then it's like if we would see each other, and I have my real tent, he has his power tent. It's kind of like, all right, we can't be seen talking to each other right now because we need to like really get to work and, you know, just show up, just show up yeah. and do our thing. And, you know, I never really <laughs> understood the rivalry like in radio, but I mean, you know, it, it's good to know that back then it was just all friendly stuff. I feel like a lot of the politics that are thrown out now just kind of, I don't know, it kind of just like ruined it truthfully well okay let me uh let me paraphrase that like uh so the friendly rivalry was between me and e-man but like it was not friendly between power and the beat no mm. never it was never friendly like uh both stations hated each other um we we always wanted to outdo each other uh this dj crew versus our dj crew and we always wanted to outdo each all of that man it was just always a rivalry period but I was saying, like me and E-Man, it was always friendly and it was always love between us. Got you, got you. Do you have like that one, that one memorable moment from working in radio? That one memorable moment? That one memorable moment. That one you just will not forget. Huh. Gosh, because... There's a lot of memorable moments like that, but I think the first one that comes to mind as you're asking me that question, I think it's uh, my very first summer jam that I performed at and my very first time on that stage playing some music. And okay, I'm a Filipino kid rocking on a predominantly black audience with music. Now again, the the stereotypes the stereotypes back then what's what's an asian kid know about black music what's an asian kid know about rocking a party that all that but man 
I'll tell you this. Okay, my memorable moment that I can think of or that I'm thinking about right now as I'm, I'm kind of explaining to you is that there was a, one of those groups, whatever, Adina Howard, and then so one of those groups performed. I'm not going to name names because I don't want to put them on blast, but they sucked on their performance. And then us DJs were playing in between the next act as they're setting up for that next performer. And so that, that act that, I, that played, they sucked. The, the energy was just whack. So like I said, Adina Howard went on. She was dope, rocked the house. All the groups before her rocked the house. DJ Quick, everybody, they, they all rocked the house. Place was crazy, and then this one act just kills the mood. And then I got to go and play after them because I need to pick up the, the energy. And so I played some music, killed it. I had that crowd rocking again because they just loved all the music that I was playing and I was playing it the right way or whatever. But yeah, it was it was just dope to be in, just picture this, I'm in front of my turntables, I'm looking at a sea of people. This is Irvine, Irvine Verizon Amphitheater or it was Irvine Meadows way back in that day. And I just seeing the rafters go all the way up and I'm just seeing people up out of their seats on chairs, people freaking each other, people up there, people and hands in the air all of that stuff it's just crazy and then the roar of each song i was playing it, it was louder and louder and louder and then <laughs> boom i end next act is on pretty much I, I i brought back the party for that next group where that other group uh killed it you know they killed it damn bro and honestly that's the stuff that i miss when i when i used to go to concerts you know uh pre-covid because yeah I felt like whenever I would go to a concert, the in-between DJ would just, it would be boring. There was nothing significant about the DJ for me to be like, wait, who was that? Mm. Like, I think the only time I could really think of was when um, I think I was at the Millennium Tour and Yin Yang Twins DJ just freaking went off. They only had a 20-minute set, but I was like, yo, this is the type of DJing that I really appreciate. I mean, he wasn't yeah. he wasn't scratching it up the entire time, but he knew how to mix everything well. He knew how to scratch. He knew how to hype the crowd up when he needed to. And, right. you know, unfortunately, I feel like those, those just are not skills that a lot of people carry. And, you know, fortunately, I mean, truthfully, I don't even carry the scratching skills as much as, like, you or even, like, a handful of DJs. But I think the idea of a DJ has just like, I don't know if I'm saying this incorrectly, but like the idea of what it is has just kind of deteriorated over the years from somebody who can rock a crowd to somebody who just plays music. Well, uh, I don't think that's the case. I think that DJs, I personally pre-COVID, I was still judging battles, I was still attending battles, looking out for the newest talent and all the newest DJs that were coming out. And man, I mean, the talent has elevated year in and year out. And a lot of these, there's a lot of dope DJs out there still up to today. I think the difference is that we were dope DJs in our time and we wanted to be on radio. We wanted to take our skills and be heard on the air. A lot of these battle DJs that are out now, 
you, you're not seeing them go on the radio. Uh, they, they have no desire to be on radio because I don't think radio has the same appeal as it did back then. They could easily do what they're doing on Twitch and have way more <laughs> love and respect than if they were uh, on the radio, I guess. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. But it's, uh, it's a different time. I think it was, uh, it, was a, it was an honor and a privilege for us, even if we were a battle DJ or we were into turntablism. And I think that was a prerequisite, I guess, for everybody on the beat because all of us could kill it. Everyone from morning show to afternoon to evening to the weekends, every DJ that was part of that DJ lineup was dope. And yeah. the same thing could be said for Power 106. Every DJ had skills. Every DJ knew how to throw down. And, um, yeah, I'm not sure how it is today because I'm not in radio anymore. But, well, yeah, you know, I guess I'm you just know. going off of what, you, what you're telling me. Well, yeah, because, like, the a lot of the DJs who I see now are, I think we were having this conversation prior, just, like, copy and paste. And I think if you can just play a record in smoothly without necessarily being a DJ identified based off of their skill set, I think that's where radio is now. So, mm-hmm. for instance, like I remember going to uh, I remember going to Vegas one time and the DJ was cutting it up and everything. And I was like, yo, like this is sick. Like, who is this guy? But, you know, people do also have to understand in the number two station, the number two market for radio that there's no room for error and so if you have a lot of djs who don't practice as much as like you do but are trying to cut it up on air that's when you get your program director and you're just like yo like what exactly are you doing right now just play the record (laughs) and see i think that's again where the differences were too uh back in the 90s they allowed us to cut it up on air like Melo D, for instance, he was a battle DJ, won some, won some, some world titles, and he was Julio G's everyday DJ, and he would DJ exactly how he battled, and he would cut it up exactly how he battled, on the air, mm. and that was dope. They didn't, uh, they didn't handcuff him. They didn't uh, limit him. They didn't tell him like, hey, stop scratching so much. No, they didn't. They just let him freely. Be him and do what he did, and that was mad love and respect for uh, for the DJ at that time. But again, as you're saying, yes, I know that a lot of the program directors now, the PDs, the people that are in charge, they kind of limit DJ. They don't want them to scratch it as much. They want the songs to to uh, play a little more. You know, like it, it, the the they they limit the creativity, and therefore, I don't think the best of the best. Are, are beating their door down to, to get on the radio as we were back in, in, uh, in the 90s. I guess, is was that limit of creativity as to why you decided to venture out, or was it for another reason? Um, no, I, I was, I was uh, pretty much forced to let, to, to, I was let go from radio. And then I was able to make my way into other radio stations, but um, ownership changes, radio buyouts, uh, different things, just different circumstances always forced the staff to be turned over and changed or record record station to be flipped into a different format. So yeah, I didn't didn't, uh, enjoy the fruits of like what E-Man 
at Power 106 enjoyed. He's, he in, he's celebrating 26 years at Power 106. I, in my 20 or 15 or 20 years of being in radio, like it was, uh, I was in four different stations versus E-Man being at one station the whole time. Mm. Okay. So then after those four years, what's, what's the next move for you? After which four years now? After the four years, oh no, after the 20 years of being in radio, what's the next move for you? Well, <laughs> I think we're we're all kind of experienced that experiencing that next move right now as we speak, which is we're here on Twitch, right? Uh, we're in a pandemic. We're in the middle of a pandemic. We're we're uh, all kind of made our way into Twitch, and we're kind of forced into it because we don't have any gigs. We can't do any gigs. Uh, places are shut down. All of California is shut down. So, where do we do? At first, we were doing it right off of our phones on IG and Facebook, and um, that was cool up to a certain point, and we were comfortable and getting, you know, having our fun with it. And then we got shut down. the The record labels just kept, uh, you know, the music, I R I A A. They just kept shutting down our streams because we were playing all their music, and so we were forced to find a, a new medium called Twitch. So. Uh, Long story short, I'm, I'm, I'm getting at is uh, to, your, to answer your question, we're going into this whole live streaming, um, this whole live streaming thing where I feel like uh, we're still brand new at it. We're all pioneering this, this, this whole thing. Gamers have been live streaming for years, and uh, the DJ community has only been at it for six, seven months. Yeah. Eight and months, maybe tops. Yeah, I think probably what march or april of last year yeah something like that when did you officially start on twitch i was late i was late to the party i think i started in june june of uh june of last year and what, what was that trigger moment that made you say you know what i'm just gonna hop on twitch and i'm gonna start there so yeah again i was saying we were all on Instagram, we're all doing it off our phones, and um, us as Snapback, as a crew, we were very comfortable doing our lunch tables, and and uh, and then we were doing night times and all of that. But yeah, the the cutoffs was just annoying, and um, every guest we had to prep them like, yo, don't play a song over sixty seconds, or else you're gonna get cut off. You got a quick mix. You got a quick mix. Quick mixing Jesus. wasn't in everyone's. Um, repertoire so <laughs> it got harder and harder and harder but b Stang was forcing the crew to like hey i'm on this twitch thing you guys got to check it out it's 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 dope it's really dope and all, a lot of us were very hesitant we we're very hesitant to get onto to twitch but then slowly but surely you know like uh, gene hove was was one of those guys in, in the crew that just figured it out it was so easy for him and you figure out the whole technical part of it, and uh, he got, you know, he got like a, a lot of people up and running, and then I think then we came around and and started really jumping on as a crew. Dang, and I mean during this time I've had conversations with a whole bunch of people about, I mean I, I've had this conversation specifically with DJ Mel SF, but like, how do you see Twitch? kind of as being the new radio yeah we were talking about this uh, just before we got started uh, i think 
I personally think Twitch is like the the replacement of radio. Radio's not going anywhere. It's going to be there, uh, but I don't think that you know. It's just going to be passive listening in the car. But Twitch, man, it's. I mean, you could take Twitch in the car with you. I, I have friends telling me they're in my, their Tesla, watching me as they're driving. <laughs> at lunchtime or whatever, you know? Um, I, I have friends telling me they, they're working, they got their kids uh, doing homeschooling, and they got me on their big TV while, 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 they're, they're, you know, while they're working and, and uh, schooling their kids. So I think like um, people are just now listening and actively getting involved, but I think what makes it dope is that you get to interact with the personalities. So like you, Nico Blitz, the body roll king, they say, okay, Nico, I, I want you to body roll right now. And they put all your body roll emotes. Next yeah. thing you know, you're changing to your scene and then you're doing all your body roll stuff. You know what I mean? Like it's, yeah. <laughs> it's that interactivity that makes Twitch so dope. And then, you know, like every DJ. So to answer your question again, like, yes, I think Twitch is, is kind of replacing radio in that fashion because back in the day, you had, used to have specialty shows. If you wanted reggae, you'd listen to a reggae show. You wanted, um, you know, Cypress Hill and talking about blunts and all that stuff. They had their specialty show. You want the real, real hip hop? You'd go to the Wake Up Show or Friday Night Flavors. So there were specialty shows, and then those personalities carried those specialty shows. In today's radio, it's just so programmed. It's programmed out that where you don't have any specialty shows. So where's all these specialty shows? The specialty shows are now on Twitch. This is where it's at, man. Like, this is where you get your specialty shows. This is where you get your interaction. This is where you get to communicate and connect with certain personalities on a one-to-one -one level. It's it's what radio was back in the '90s for me. That's mm. that's the same feeling I get. And you, and you know, going back to the whole body roll thing, because I know you big me up about that like the entire time. <laughs> but you know, you know where I actually got that idea from. I was actually inspired by your stream. What? Yeah. The body was, roll? You came from my stream? Well, well, I was thinking to myself, like, how do I make this chat room interactive with emotes? And so I walked into your stream one time, and this is when I first started out, and you're like, ladies, representing the chat. Fellas, representing the chat. And I'm like, okay, what's going to happen? And you literally have fellas emotes and ladies emotes. I'm like, whoa. <laughs> that is crazy. And you get the immediate interaction off of the audience. And to me, I was like, yo, like, I don't know if you know Ice, but I'd be taking notes whenever I'm in your stream. What? <laughs> <laughs> I take a lot of notes watching your stream, bro. Uh, thanks. And I feel like, you know, Twitch is also that place to really inspire not only other DJs, but people who want to get into DJing, people who just want to start to get creative with whatever interest that they have going on. Yeah. Hey, well, as you're saying that, I'm seeing I'm seeing the chat room fly with ladies and fellas. Right now, I want you guys to put body roll emotes in the chat so Nico Blitz can get up and do some body rolls for you. Oh, Light up the God. chat room with some body rolls, everybody. Light it up, y'all, and Nico Blitz <laughs> is going to rock some body rolls for you right now. <laughs> Dang. All right. There it is. There it is. You see that instant that inter interaction right there? There it is. There's the body roll king. He's doing it. The body roll. <laughs> yeah. Hey, you, you guys heard it first, man. 
Icy Ice will call me the body roll king every single time. And I'm like, oop, I didn't say it. Icy Ice said it, bro. <laughs> uh, I don't see anyone doing it nearly as much as you. And I don't see anyone doing it as fly as you. So you are the body roll king in my book, man. <laughs> have you had like, have you had that one Twitch stream that just felt overpowering for like you just never imagined this type of stuff could happen on Twitch. Huh. Rephrase that question for me again. Like so amongst your ever since what June or July when you did start on Twitch, did you ever have that one stream that was just like so inspiring to the point where you said, "Wow, I never thought I would get this feeling from an app." I never thought I would get this feeling from DJing on Twitch. Uh, I won't say there was one stream. I will say that just Twitch as an app, period. And then the ability to see my favorite DJs all up and down, like they're live, this person's live, this person's live, or like at the same time, seven of them are all live at the same time and me be able to jump into each room and see my favorite DJs rock. That was amazing in itself. Now, back pre-COVID, pre-COVID, you know, I'm a very social person. I love to be in the mix. I love to just know what's up. I love to go visit spots. I love to just go visit spots, hang out, see, see the folks, all of that, right? To be able to go see a DJ rock, you have to hop in that car, you have to make that drive, you have to go park, pay for parking, walk out into the club, fall in line. If you're lucky, you're on that guest list, boom, you get in the guest list line, you get in, and then you're standing around. You got to buy a couple drinks because you're waiting around till that DJ gets on, and then you, you get to watch them. Mm. Today, you wake up. At least one of your favorite DJs is on at all times, man. All times. Yeah. And like I said, like sometimes 10 of them are all on at the same time. But yeah, to be able to jump from Jazzy Jeff to, to Shortcut and from Shortcut to, to Craze. And, and then next thing you know, there's a special stream with A-Track performing. You know, like it's just, it's overwhelming how dope, how much dope talent is on here. And then to find... A lot of dope DJs that you've never heard in your life, but they're killing it, man. They're just killing it. It's insp it's inspire it's inspiring and it's inspiration at your fingertips at all times. I I I, I mean, for someone that lived through my era and then up to COVID and and all the things that we had to experience to have this kind of app and to have like a 24-hour DJ party at all times. That, that that's a dream come true right there and that that's mind-blowing in itself well that's why you know I, I think it goes back to why you guys do this in the first place i mean if you look at snapback you guys have a new person on like it seems like every single day and yes. to me i'm just like yo like i want to figure out who snapback is like putting on right now because you know truthfully like your guys word is it means so much to this community so when you guys have somebody on, I'm like, yo, like I really got to be on the lookout for them. And to me, it that is just beyond DJing. That is community, and that is possibly showing 
a new bit of inspiration to somebody who is just watching from the other side of the screen. Yeah. Um, we were very fortunate. We were very fortunate to have such a good community of friends that's that followed us and supported us in our our switch to Instagram, to Facebook, to Twitch. They it was all they were always having our back. Um, so yeah, much love to our Snapback community, our, all our moderators, all our people, our day ones that were with us through and through since March. Like, um, it's so much love in, in our community. Uh, we, we can't even put into words how, how much that means to us. Um, but yeah, it goes back to us doing clubs as Snapback for seven, eight years as a crew. Uh, we were doing North Hollywood, Long Beach on a weekly not once a month or not once a quarter it was weekly and same thing we had guest djs always coming in and anytime we had we knew someone dope was coming into los angeles we made sure we made a point to try and get that person to perform at snapback mm -hmm. and then so the same things that made a snapback as a in real life club we take we took all of those same things and brought it to social media and then onto Twitch and our day ones have been super supportive and, and loving to us and um, I think that's if anything if there's one thing I can I can point out snapback versus any other channel I think our community is like bar none bar none man like our, our community is is super dope and super loving and supporting and um, I, I think we're just super fortunate to have the the day ones and and the community around us like the way they do well you know huge shout out to uh j love jen because she plugs you and snapback literally everywhere she goes oh thanks jen <laughs> <laughs> ube jen in the house wta all day every day ube jen you know so if we go back to the 90s and you guys just simply wanted to be the best now we're in 2021 you guys obviously have snapback. You still do what you do on a very frequent basis. What's all of this for now? Huh. Well, <laughs> good question. I think I think us as snapback it's an it's ultimately an outlet for us. It's um it's us giving to the community and giving back to the DJ culture. Like, uh, we don't just put on dope DJs. We put on guys that are just starting out, guys that are intermediate, guys that have been around for a few years but a lot of people don't really know about. But, yeah, of course, we try and get the best of the best. You know, so we'll, you'll put your shortcuts up against um, some some DJs that people don't really know about. And, and we it's dope because... You're, fun, you're you're seeing the best the best of the best and then you're seeing someone that you're discovering and uh, it's it's just dope both ways so uh, I think that's uh one of our things is we're giving back and then us as a crew also like uh, in this pandemic we were looking and talking amongst ourselves and saying what can we do other than just do these streams and so the 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 fundraising aspect came into a, came into effect and you know working with no kids hungry or working with um, working with different organizations to to help raise funds to make a difference that was important to us 
And um, yeah, I'm proud to say us as Snapback Crew, we've we've raised over thirty thousand dollars in fundraising over Twitch, just over Twitch, over a couple of events, and Man. it's been amazing. Now that that is insane. Now that's everything that Snapback wants to do and everything that Snapback stands for. But what about you, Ice? What are you doing what, all this for? What am I doing this all for? Yeah. <laughs> well. I mean, uh, number one, I do it because I love the craft. I do it because I love DJing, and uh, and this is my creative outlet. I can't do gigs. I can't do events. I can't travel. So this is the next best thing is performing in front of this camera and rocking for the people. Um, but I guess if you want to take it even one step further, I do it for my family. I do it for... Um, my wife, my kids, all of that, because uh, this is one of the ways I also earn income. This is one of the only ways I'm able to um, market and promote myself and let people know that I'm still here <laughs> versus, uh, you know, I could easily just be sitting on the couch, not doing anything and, and waiting till this whole pandemic uh, runs. But then, no, that's not me. I think this pandemic forced me it kind of lit, lit my fire to uh reinvent myself recreate me as a person me recreate myself as a dj and do something new and and fun and um you know i see my man philip Imbuido in here he's a record promoter that same thing he could be sitting on the couch and waiting till this whole pandemic goes but no he's on he's on twitch networking with every dj across the board pushing his records Letting it, letting them, letting everyone know about 88 Rising and all the projects that he's got going, and mm -hmm. all his work with Anderson Pack, all of that stuff. So, same type of thing, man. It's uh, I think all of us. It, it's it's a fresh start. It's a ground zero beginning for all of us. All of us as DJs. All of us as streamers. All of us as podcast interviewers. All of that. Like it's just a ground zero beginning that we're all pioneering at the same time. So what's a piece of advice that you would give a somebody who is on the fence about streaming? Um I encourage it, but you know, you can't you can't change a person if they don't want to change, you know what mm -hmm. I mean? You uh you can keep on encouraging, you can keep on uh saying how dope something is, but until like you get a brand new bike. You you tell them all the dope features of this bike. You tell them how smooth this bike is. You could go over bumps and you could you could go off roading and you you could go on sidewalks and it's just a super comfortable bike. But until that person wants to ride the bike, ain't no getting that person on the bike. But I always encourage I encourage everybody to get on the live streaming because the more the DJ community is on live streaming, the bigger our audience and our community will get. You imagine like we're, there's a lot of DJs on right now, but I don't think we've even hit half of the DJ community. Not even half is no. on Twitch at this moment in time. But you imagine if we got over half or even more to closer to 100% of everybody streaming, all their fans and all their friends and all their, their communities coming onto Twitch, I think we would overtake the gaming community if everybody would get on, but I don't think uh, everyone's seeing it that way. 
the gamers had eight, 10, 12, whatever years ahead of us. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And, and they have hun hundreds of millions of followers in the gaming community. And then on the Twitch side, I, I don't know. Last time I checked, it was in the tens, if even that, like 10 million people on, on, on the Twitch music side. So we have so much room for growth. We have so much room for growth if all the DJs would get on. Yeah. But no, and, uh, I, I don't I, think uh, I don't think people see it that way. No, and, and I hear you, Ice. I mean, I've I've been encouraging people like these past couple of months, but I guess like when people do decide to ride that bike, they will ride that bike. <laughs> and exactly. I'm only laughing because I actually got hit while riding a bike. Did you? In June, yeah, in June or July, yeah, I got hit by a car. So what, well, you're just cruising down the street and the car just sideswiped you or what? Basically, you should have seen the damage I did to the car. Dang. <laughs> but so that, you body rolled the hell out of that car, huh? I body rolled the hell out of that car, man. Look, I walked up and I said, ladies, fellas, and I was looking at the totally wrong uh, wrong <laughs> Ice. Damn, Between, the body um, roll king. I, I think that's probably what influenced the body rolls, honestly. <laughs> but throughout all your time DJing, is there anything that you wish that you did differently? Do I wish that I did differently? I, I wish uh, a lot of this technology and all of this stuff came way earlier. <laughs> well, you have no control over that. What's that? <laughs> well, you had no control over that. I had no control over that. I wish the internet, I wish streaming, I wish all of these things were available to us. We we didn't we didn't have any of this, man. Um it came years and years later. But I, I think because we didn't have that, we we had to get way more creative resourceful and uh be able to make things happen in different ways. And then even now in in uh, today's time, now that we do have all these technologies, just like live streaming, yeah, um, a lot of us guys that have been around for a long time, we're jumping on and we're we're trying to recreate things in new ways and and do things differently or or try and infuse a lot of the things that we did coming up into this new technology and this new platform. So I think it's uh, it's dope. But yeah, if there was one thing I I wish that could change is uh, we we had. We had all this technology way earlier. That's that's mm. that's probably the one thing I wish we could change. Right. Well, guys, at this time, I do want to open up the floor. If you guys have any questions for the legendary DJ Icy Ice, um, I do want to go through a round of like super quick questions for you, Ice. Okay. Um, what is your go-to '90s record? Oh man, go-to. Go-to 90s record? Go-to 90s record. Because I understand that go-to record is such a wide spectrum, so I had to it cut it down. It is such a wide spectrum <laughs> record because you have your go-to club records, your go-to records that you, you feel in when, when you, you're just alone. or <laughs> um, I don't know. A lot of Tribe Called Quest, is, uh, a lot of that is my go-tos. Whether I'm rocking at a club or whether I'm just rocking on a live stream, I, man, if you listen to my sets, I, I always play Tribe somewhere in my sets so yeah go to go to record is tribe called quest my girlfriend actually said not a question but my dad is hella jealous of your record collection lol 
Hey dad, hey dad, what's up? What's up, pops? Ice, if um if you were to recommend your top your favorite up and coming streamers right now, who would they be? Huh. So up and coming meaning meaning younger meaning streamers like, or are you talking uh, about up and like, coming meaning they're they're just brand new to Twitch or what yeah, what kind like, of up and coming are you yeah, talking about? Brand new to Twitch couple hundred followers here and there um man i'll be honest like uh that uh that dj mia moore from from uh london i mean she is so young she's only like 17 but damn her music knowledge is like on point and the way she rocks it is on point so i mean uh, she has to be one of those those djs that i'm like very impressed with because uh, of just her age and her music knowledge and all of that, but I think I, I hear her uh, her mom, her dad. They they had a lot to do with that music knowledge and uh, props to the parents for for teaching her all that music. Amen, amen. Um, well, good morning, Gabe is asking, what's the craziest party Icy Ice has ever DJed? So crazy as in lit, crazy as in hype, crazy as in like crazy, crazy. Let's go crazy, crazy. I like crazy, crazy. <laughs> well, I'll just uh, without going into too much detail, I, I, I've DJed <laughs> several um, vivid films, parties, spe specifically Halloween ones. So, you know, you already know. And uh, I've seen things happening at that party that I have not seen anywhere else. So vivid, you know, if you know vivid, you know vivid. <laughs> if you know, you know. If you um, know, you know. Philip and Buido, got any Prince vinyl, DJ ICI? Just wondering. Oh, yeah. One whole covey is, is all Prince over here. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> you want me to pull some out, Prince? Mr. Baby Prince? I got you. Yeah, pull out a Prince record. Let's see what you got. Let's see. He just pulled out a random stack. Here you go. Here's here's some uh well this is Sheila E. This is the time. But this is oh my God. 1999. <laughs> Prince 1999. Take me with you 12 inch. Here you go, Prince. Jesus Raspberry, Christ. Raspberry Beret. This is uh well nasty girl, and then uh, this is when doves cry right here twelve inch European oh press. God man, and then yeah everything like uh, let's let's work twelve inch twelve inch record, and this is with uh and back in and this back in this time man a twelve inch you know a song nowadays is like three minutes is already long four minutes is pushing it this one right here. Just uh, one side, the, the, the 12 inch is, is uh, eight minutes for one song, 10 minutes for the remix. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, this is all Prince. This is all Prince. Jesus Every Christ. Every single. I love how you just pulled a random stack and you already knew what you were getting. Everything, yeah. Now I know where uh, my records are at, yeah, so. Uh, what is your standing after? set mcdonald's order was before pandemic times 
What was what? DJ Miss Vell is asking what his standing after set McDonald's order was before pandemic times. Oh, what was your McDonald's order after a, after an in real life set? Oh, so after the club, like what's my McDonald's order? I believe so. <laughs> well, my my go to McDonald's is a uh, quarter pounder. I, I love quarter pounders, so I, I get a quarter pounder fries and uh, and a shake. There we go. <laughs> well, ICIs, thank you so much once again for being the first guest for the record breaking podcast. I really appreciate you, man. Um, man. I appreciate you having me, Mr. Nico Blitz Body Roll King. No, I always <laughs> this was forget, dope. I always forget to ask this question, but how do you even come up with the name Icy Ice? Well, long story short, my name is Isaiah and Ice. They would always call me short for Ice for Isaiah. And um, back when I was in middle school and I was inspired by going to that dance and I was trying to think of that name. Um, I was originally going to call myself I.C.I., as in Icy Isaiah. But um, the person that sat in front of me, this girl named, named Kathy, she told me, why don't you just change it to Ice? It just sounds cooler. And back at that time, it was very common for DJ, for just DJs, B-boys, you know, anyone hip-hop to double up their names. So Teddy Ted, Felly Fell, whatever. So gotcha. he said gotcha. Icy Ice. So boom. I was like, I like the ring of that. And uh, that's that's what we went with. I like it, man. I love it. Well, there you go, everybody. DJ Icy Ice in a nutshell on the Record Breaking Podcast. Thank you guys so much. Um, I'm not entirely sure when we're going to have the next Record Breaking Podcast. All I know is we are actually going to have DJ Mia Moore. Nice. So be on the lookout for that. Um, you know, DJ Mia Moore, 17-year-old DJ from the UK. And uh, wait. Good morning, Gabe. Has one more question. One more question. All right. Come on, Gabe. Come on, Gabe. Well, let's see what Gabe has to say. Hey, well, real quick, shout out to Chrissy Forms in the house. Of course, shout out to J Love Jen and um, the homie Big Rob in here, Kyle Nike in here, my man Philip and Buido is in here. <laughs> Everybody's up in here, man. This, this is dope. How, good morning, Gabe. This is the last question. How did you get to DJ on the debut? The Filipino <laughs> classic. <laughs> the classic. Okay, so the debut. The debut, man. Okay, so a, um, a friend of mine, his name is Joe Braza. He was uh, neighbors with the guy that, that was producing the whole debut and uh john castro the guy that wrote the debut he was going to uh, school at cal state long beach where my xxx girlfriend was going to school at and so i had that connection with john castro through through being part of long beach pack and all of that and then i had the connection to the producer through my man joe braza and so we all came together uh when when they were going around with the idea and the concept they were doing just going to filipino clubs talking to the filipino club saying hey can you help help support this movie can you help 
put in some money or help fundraise so then we could put out the first American Filipino film called The Debut. And so that's how it all started. But that went on for years. It went on for years because they didn't have no GoFundMe. They didn't have any kind of fundraising like that. And it was very difficult to do any kind of fundraising to, you know, for a film. And so fast forward several years later, they finally get the funding and uh, they get one of the not major label uh, movie movie um, produce, production houses to, to get behind it, but uh, a, a small one to get behind it. And so with very minimal budget, with very everything, they put together, they, they debut. And um, of course, the debut was about a debut and they needed a DJ. So when they thought a DJ, they, they brought me into it and then I pulled E-Man into, into the mix to DJ along with me. But then they said, oh, there's a speaking role in, in the DJ part. Which one do you want, of you want to speak? And at that time, it was between me and E-Man. They, they chose me to, to, to have those few lines of speaking in the debut. And then they had E-Man doing all the cuts and everything. So that's how we were able to DJ. But we did not get paid. They said... <laughs> oh, if we feature your legend entertainment banner and you put up all your equipment and all of that, you're you're going to be part of a heritage film and everyone will know legend from here on out because they're you're part of the debut. I'm like, okay, cool. <laughs> yeah. Hey, man, that's what happens. I, I that's think what happens. Have... But when they finally when they finally did um, release in theaters and they were able to, they didn't do like a nationwide release like uh, like we have nowadays. Uh, it, we didn't have that kind of budget back then. So again, like the nightclubs, the struggle of nightclubs, the struggle of getting on radio, it was the same type of struggle for a little film called The Debut, full of brown people, to make it onto the big screen. And so what did they do? They premiered it in each city, but they, you know, the cast and the producers and the, and, uh, the writers, everybody would go to Hawaii and they would stay over there and do the whole promotion and just premiere it for a week. And then they would take the film over to San Diego, produce it, you know, do it for a week. And then they take it up to the Bay Area and just show it for a week there. And then boom, they take it to New York and then to Houston and to Chicago. And and that that was the that was the struggle that the debut went through to to make enough money to to um, you know premiere it in these theaters. But when every time they premiered in each city, they sold out. They had rave reviews. It's just that no production company or uh, no distribution company would pick it up to distribute it nationwide all at the same time. So they had to do it grassroots style. So that's the story of the debut. All I'm saying is if you're Filipino and you have not watched the debut, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, so I mean, yeah, the debut. And then, uh, shoot, Khalees did a whole knockoff on her, one of her music videos uh, with uh, Disclosure. They they just, they they did a whole thing with Dante Bosco at the very end of, uh, of this video. So yeah, you guys got to check that out at the very least. If you haven't yes. seen debut, check out the music video. It's pretty much uh, mocking what the debut was. I think the uh, last question we have about your uh, video vixen moves, so to speak, uh, ask Ice how he got in the Bebo music video. Were you in that? Oh man, I haven't watched that video in a while. Well, so there's two. You know, there's two versions of the the Bebo music video. So the, there's the the mainstream one, which is it's almost kind of like a 
the whole inspiration for that was Dr. Dre, nothing but a G thing. So it was filmed at the same exact park. It was filmed with the same intent. You know, instead of lowriders, it was it was you know like pretty much the the rice rockets and the the low, <laughs> the 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 import cars, pretty much, right? The models, all of that. So that was the inspiration for video one. Video two was more of the historical Filipino. Um, and they were they were telling the story of the Filipinos Manungs and Manungs out there in Stockton that went through all of that. And then we were kind of depicting the Manungs working in the fields, all of that. So anyways, long story short, Apple Diab asked me to be part of this video, uh, but he, he wanted me in the more historical one versus the more mainstream one. So the mainstream one is what you, you'll see in, in uh, YouTube and all of that, the historical one. It's it's hidden. It's uh it's buried somewhere in YouTube. So check well, it out. Everybody, make sure you check that out. And once again, thank you so much, ICS, for joining us on the first record-breaking podcast. Um, we are actually going to raid into another Filipino. She goes by Meow Music. Um, dope oh, Fili Meow Music. All right, word. Filipino DJ, like literally in the Philippines. So literally in the Philippines. Literally. Yeah. So everybody, show her some love and thank you once again, Ice, for all your time and all your love and all your energy. We really appreciate it here, bro. Hey, appreciate you having me, and uh, appreciate everybody that's been hanging out and listening, and uh, and then to all of you guys that are listening to this at a later time, man. Much love, respect, peace. Appreciate you guys.